What's up, coaches? Welcome back to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for all things defensive line play. And this is episode number 122. Thank you for checking us out today on this Tuesday after the Super Bowl, which saw the Rams pull out the three-point victory over the Bengals. Uh, hey, a few questionable calls there in the final couple of minutes, but all in all, it was a great game. And you got to feel good for the uh, the veterans on the Rams who were finally able to get a Super Bowl ring, You know, namely uh, Stafford. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, Aaron Donald, and of course, OBJ for him to be able to, uh, to get a ring after injuring his knee there in the first half. And then if you're the Bengals, then you know what, look, you've been playing with house money ever since you beat the Raiders in a wild card round. And ultimately the Rams are just a better team, but the Bengals have nothing to be ashamed of. And in fact, have a reason for a ton of optimism as they head into the off season. So that puts a bow on what was a really a, an exciting NFL postseason. And now, oh, we look ahead to a bleak six-month stretch without football on TV. I think they're starting up the USFL later in the spring, so I guess we'll have to see what that's about. But, hey, have no fear. Whatever happens, we'll be here with you the whole way with some outstanding episodes where you'll get to hear from some great coaches along the way. So if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to keep your pads down so you never miss an episode. Speaking of episodes, we have a very special one lined up for you today. But before we get to our conversation with Coach Sims, I want to tell you about our two sponsors for our podcast here, with the first being our friends at GoEdit Graphics. GoEdit Graphics allows any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes, and subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. And in fact, they've added some really sharp-looking new templates this year that you'll definitely want to check out. Also, if you check out our Twitter feed today and see the graphic that we posted with this episode link, that entire graphic was created by me in just a few minutes with GoEdit Graphics. I picked the pictures I wanted to use, changed the colors and the text to what I wanted the graphic to say, and bam, I'm done. So the process is super easy and user-friendly. And just like last season, make sure to keep your pads down when you're ordering and receive $25 off your Showcase yearly package. Showcase your athletes with custom-made graphics in less than two minutes with GoEdit Graphics. Next up, many of you listen to this podcast each week to hear from great coaches and learn more football, which is awesome. But you should also go check out our friends at Our Coaching Network, where they have hours of online clinics available right now and brand-new clinics being added each week. This week on the network, you can hear from guys like the University of Richmond tight end coach, uh, which is going on tonight. Tomorrow night, Coach Dan Lemke, who's a passing game coordinator and outside linebacker coach at Florida A&M. Uh, and then on Thursday night, you can hear Coach Jerome Williams, the defensive line coach from Southeastern Missouri State, talking some D-line play. And that clinic, as with the other two, will begin at 7 p.m. Central. So something for everyone this week on the network. So get on over there now and create your account today. Subscriptions are super affordable, and you can cancel at any time. Start connecting with and learning from coaches from all across the country today with our coaching network. All right, well, today's episode is special for a lot of reasons. This is not a typical KYPD episode where we welcome on a, a defensive line coach to talk some football. Uh, instead, today we're talking with SMU offensive analyst, Coach Herschel Sims, and we're not talking X's and O's. Coach Sims has an unbelievable story of redemption to tell that is nothing short of inspiring. Uh, he has overcome so much in his life from living through an extremely difficult childhood, um, some regrettable decisions he made as a young man, to battling depression and, and, and so much more. And what you'll hear today is a man who has 
come through those mistakes and learn from them, and now possesses a wisdom that far surpasses his age. Uh, so a little about Coach Sims' background before we begin today. Uh, Coach grew up in Abilene, Texas, and started running back at Abilene High, where he helped the Eagles to a 5A Division II state championship over the Katy Tigers in 2009. As a senior, Coach Sims was ranked as the number four running back in the nation and played in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl before committing to Oklahoma State. Also that year, Coach Sims was featured on the MTV docuseries World of Jinx, which chronicled his life as he prepared for his senior season at Abilene High and for his mother's release from prison. Coach Sims arrived at Oklahoma State as a highly touted freshman with sky-high expectations. But things didn't turn out like Coach planned, and the events that occurred during the end of his freshman year at OSU set in motion a long, difficult, uphill journey, which we'll discuss today in our conversation. Uh, like I said earlier, Coach Sims is currently an offensive analyst at SMU, a position he's held since the summer of 2021. And before that, he coached in Richardson ISD and DFW, uh, University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, and was a GA at the University of North Texas to start his coaching career. So today's episode is one that I would recommend for everyone, whether, whether you're a football coach or not. Uh, but if you are a coach, I think this episode will be especially impactful for you as you hear Coach Sims talk about his life and the coaches, and, and really one in particular uh, who was there for him along the way uh, through the good times and the bad. So with all that being said, let's lock in and get ready to hear the inspirational story of Coach Herschel Sims on episode number 122 of KYPD. It's really an honor to be uh, talking with you tonight. I'm so excited to uh, to have you on the podcast. So first of all, welcome, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, this is a good thing that you're doing, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Well, absolutely. Well, Coach, we got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Going to dive in into your your background and, and kind of give you a chance to tell uh, these coaches, these guys listening, your story a little bit. So let's take it back to the uh, the days out in Abilene, Texas, which for, for those who are not from the state of Texas, Abilene, to me, is like an old school football town. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, right. um, it's just one of those, it's one of those when you think of, you know, even like, like late 80s, early 90s, or on into the 2000s, West Texas football, and, and, and some Texans may not consider Abilene West Texas, but Abilene's one of those places, uh, just, just kind of a classic uh, football town in the state of Texas. So talk about that. And, and your experiences growing up there, I know that, that your experiences were uh, unique to say the least. So let's 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 just be, begin there with with you growing up in Abilene. Man, um, Abilene's a great place. That's my home. You know, still to this day, I, I always tell everybody that I know or anybody that I ever come encounter with that I miss Abilene, <laughs> um, and they look at me crazy. Um, but that place is that that place is home for me. You know, it's a place that. That taught me a lot of lessons. That I made some of my best friends. Um, still to this day, you know, a couple of my high school buddies are are my best friends, and um, you know that place kind of raised me into the guy I am, and kind of made me who I am uh, as a person, as a football player, and um, and also as a coach. You know, um, I'm sure we'll get to it uh, later on, but you know, the reason I coach is because um, of some of the um, things that that I've went through in Abilene and people I've met in Abilene and they became 
what part of me that, you know, I, I take with me. So, you know, um, most of my family, they're all from California, Los Angeles area. And, um, you know, I always, I always say that's part of my family, but you know what, Abilene is who I am, you know, um, and if you ever talk about West Texas football, Abilene is always in that conversation. You know, you look on a map, it may not be actual West Texas, but you can't really talk about West Texas football without talking about Abilene. You know, that just goes back into that um, whole district with Odessa Permian, Midland Lee, Abilene High, you know, the whole Friday Nights movie, West Texas football, Abilene is a part of that. So I take pride in being from Abilene and, you know, I wear it, um, I wear it proud and that's my home. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, being from East Texas, you know, Abilene was West Texas. Uh, ha- having some friends go to yeah, go to school out there at ACU, that was that was West Texas. So you won't get any pushback from me as far as that goes, <laughs> uh, geographically speaking. Um, okay, so as I already alluded to, you had a, a, an extremely difficult childhood, um, and, and so I want I want to talk about that a little bit, um, and just just what that was like and how that affected you as a kid growing up, and then. You know, along the way, who are some people that you looked up to and kind of helped you out along the way and maybe who are some of your influences? Yeah, um, unfortunately, I didn't grow up with uh, my parents in my household. You know, um, I was in foster care for for a very long time. And, you know, early on in my uh, life, I was abused as a kid. And so that's how I got put in the foster system. And me and my older brother went one way and I have a, a younger sister and a uh, younger brother who were together. And so me and my brother, we we split up with our uh, other two siblings and, you know, we hit the foster scene and we bounced around a little bit uh, before we settled down and um, with my aunt and uncle in Abilene. And then so um, through that time, you know, um, it was hard because uh, when I got involved in sports, it was from my stepdad flag football when I was three years old. That's when I first got introduced to the game. You know, um, I was three and my birthday happens to be in September. And so right when the season started, I ended up turning four. So that's how I was able to play flag football, you know, pretty early. And so that's how I kind of got introduced to football. And, you know, he was a re- really the reason why um, I got into football. And then you go a little bit uh, longer, and that's when the abuse started to happen. And that's when we kind of um, split up. And my mom had went off to jail and things like that. You know, uh, my dad was never in my life. Um, for the longest, I thought, um, this one particular guy was my dad. And, um, when I got a little older, I used to go spend some time with him out in Odessa. And I thought he was my dad for the longest up until probably, uh, my junior year of high school. Um, there was this girl that was going to my high school named Raven. And, um, the crazy thing is she, her mom, and I don't know exactly how it went down, but like, she knew my cousins who I was living with. And so it goes on to my senior year and come to find out she's my sister from my real dad. And it's crazy how that story turns out all along. I'm thinking she's just a friend of my cousins or whatever. And next thing you know, she's actually my sister. Um, and so it's funny how that story played out, but you know, I really didn't meet my dad until really until my senior year of high school. That was my first time actually meeting my dad. And, um, you know, so before that, you know, just bouncing around from, foster care, foster care, and then finally live with my aunt and uncle who also have five kids of their own. You know, it took me and my older brother in, which was seven kids in a three-bedroom house. You know, um, it was tough. You know, um, my uncle was handicapped. He's he's disabled. He's in a wheelchair. You know, my aunt, she kind of did everything she could. And, 
to help provide for all of us, you know, and it was just tough being um, in a low income home with seven kids, you know, um, but somehow they, they made it work. You know, my uncle became a pastor and a deacon at the church. So we were able to get some help from the church um, a little bit. And I grew up uh, in church. And so that kind of helped me a little bit, you know, and, you know, football was football was my way out. You know, I've started to develop a talent at a young age and kind of carried on to little league football and middle school football and high school football. And, and so my little league coach, you know, uh, his name was June Esparza. And um, he kind of was like my father figure a little bit. And he kind of took me in once I started playing football. And uh, once I got up to high school, he kind of moved away. And so that's when um, at the time, his name is Ryan Lewis. He was a running back coach at Edwin High. And um, he kind of took notice of me, like my eighth grade year of middle school. You know, I, I was a little trouble kid, you know, hanging around the wrong friends and liked to fight and all that stuff at an early age. Just a lot of it was built out of anger, not having my parents around. I was that kid um, going to games and my parents went in the stands, you know, when um, – all the kids after the game go up to their parents and hug them and stuff and watch them. You know, my family wasn't there. You know, it's not because they didn't want to. Just, you know, my aunt and uncle had six other kids to deal with, so they couldn't make it to all my games. So I was always leaning on a coach to be that parent for me. You know, so um, Ryan, he kind of took me under his wing my eighth grade year. Kind of got to know him and his family a little bit. And when I got to high school, you know, he kind of became uh, my family. You know, still to this day, I'm 30 years old. And when I go back home to Abilene, I don't go to my mom's house. I don't go to anyone else's house. I go to Ryan Lewis's house, who was my high school running back coach. You know, still to this day, if anybody asks me who my father was, um, he'll be the first guy I mention. Um, you know, that's just who he is. That's just um, what he did for me and the impact he's had on my life. So that kind of gave me the idea um, of wanting a coach. You know, before I even thought about coaching, you know, I wanted to go to the NFL and all that and all that stuff, but that didn't work out. But, I mean, we'll get into that. I don't want to rum, uh, ramble or whatever, but, you know, Ryan Lewis, he's played a big impact on my life. And also our head coach, Steve Warren, um, who's a head coach, now retired, you know, he's played a, a huge role in my life as well. When you look back on it, what were some things that Coach Lewis did to earn that trust from you, to connect with you? you know, a kid who probably had issues maybe connecting with people or trusting adults uh, already. How did he, how did he go about building that trust with you and creating that lasting relationship with you? I think the biggest thing for him was he was just there. You know, I think that was the biggest thing for me. I just didn't have anybody that was there, you know, um, you know, he, anytime I, anytime I needed something, he was there. If I needed a place to lay my head because, you know, our house got kicked in or something make, Whatever case may be, lights got cut off. We didn't have any food or whatever. He was there. He never asked any questions. He never questioned um, anything about me and my family. You know, he just, he was just always there. And just seeing how he is with his own family, he never treated me like any, like an outsider at all. You know, the first time I walked through his door, he treated me like I was one of his own. And um, I think that was the biggest thing for me, having someone who I can actually trust you know over time you know I was able to trust them more and more and more but you know it didn't take me long to trust them I don't know why it's just like I don't know you know when you meet that one when you meet that woman one woman you you just know she's the one and it's just like with him you know when 
he came in my life, you know, he cared. He, it wasn't always just about football. You know, he was constantly on me about school grades. Um, you know, he wasn't just around just because of my um, athletic ability. You know, um, uh, he was he was around through it all, through my ups, downs. When, when um, you know, I was kicked off the team at Oklahoma State, he was there. You know, um, there wasn't many, there wasn't many people who were still there after that point, you know, but he was the main one. You know, he never even asked. He never even asked me. I think about it now. He never even asked what happened. What did you do? He just said, it's okay. You know what I mean? So that was something that I knew that, man, this dude really, really cares outside of football. And so um, it was tough trying to trust people. And, man, I, I still struggle with it to this day. You know, I still got a wall up. You know, it's hard for me to trust people, but, you know, I still try and um, I try to do everything that I can to, you know, give everybody the benefit of the doubt, you know, until they burn that trust. But um, it's still a work in progress and it's something that I'm still um, fighting to get better at. Yeah, I think that's really, um, really a profound thing there that you said that he was he was just there. With I think sometimes we as coaches, I know myself included, can forget that it really can be that simple that it doesn't take a whole lot of just but just showing the kid that you're going to be there no matter what no strings attached that your support is unconditional Um, and I think that's huge and I think that that's a good lesson for for all of us coaches to remember as we try to connect with kids on our own in our own programs who are going through some different struggles and and finding we're you know difficult to deal with sometimes and I think that's just just showing them that that we'll that we're there uh, can really go a long way. Oh, yeah, it does. Everybody, you know, it's the biggest thing that I've learned in coaching. Every student athlete has a, has their own story to tell. Everybody's different. You know, when what I see nowadays with some of these coaches is they try to be someone different with uh, with a different player. You know, all you got to do is just be you, be who you are, because the kids see right through it. You just show them that you care and you're real genuine about these relationships and what you're trying to build. And the kids see right through it. They're not they're not dumb. You know, they can they can see the they can separate the real from the fake real quick. You know, so just being who you are, um, being true to yourself, I think is the biggest thing. Being who are you? How can you make an impact on these kids' lives? And what can you do in order for them to know that you really, really care? And um, I think that's I think that's huge. So you get into high school and and uh you're a pretty good player, and, and I'm I'm putting that uh I'm putting that lightly. I'm understating that a lot. But so when you get into high school, you start playing some football. When was like the first moment that you realize, hey, I'm pretty good. Um, man, honestly, I knew I knew I was pretty good my freshman year of high school. Um, it was just easy. Um, it was just super easy. You know, I play, I was fortunate enough to play with my cousin Ronell, who's my best friend, and he's really more of a brother, really. You know, um, yeah, we're cousins, his dad and my mom are brother and sister, but we're more of brothers and we are cousins, you know, just playing with him made it a lot easier. But my freshman year, probably when I knew that, you know what, <laughs> I'm pretty nice. I can, I can do some special things. And then as time went on after my sophomore year playing on varsity as a sophomore and having real success, I was like, yeah. And at the time I didn't know anything about recruiting. I don't know anything about college. I was just out there playing ball. It's not like it is today, you know, when, and how recruiting is today. But back then when I was playing, God, I'm saying back then, like I'm 50 years old, but um, 
when I was playing it, I was just playing ball. So I knew I was really good. Um, I just didn't know how good I can actually be. You know, I just knew I was a, I was a pretty good football player. So as the hype surrounding you started to build and, and recruiting did start heating up, what was that process like? I mean, you were, uh, you guys played for a state championship or won a state championship in, uh, over Katie in 2009. What year was that? What, what, what year were you then? I was a junior. I was okay. A junior. Okay. So, so you, you won a state championship your junior year, going into your senior year. Uh, I mean, you're featured uh, on an MTV show, and and I'm sure you're at this at this point. Um, you know, Rivals has you ranked, I think, the top five running backs is in the nation. Forgive me, I, I don't have my stats right in front of me. Number so go, four, please. <clears throat> Thank you. N- number four, my bad, my bad. Number four, <laughs> number four in the nation. So, what was that that process like, or that time like, with all of that hype surrounding you and your team? Man, it was crazy. It was it was fun. You know, I didn't enjoy it like I should have enjoyed it, you know, because at the time I didn't know much about it. You know, I knew a little bit from the town being in Abilene and everywhere I went, people wanted autographs and things like that. But I really didn't know how big it was until really until after it was already done. You know, after I'm already into my senior year, I really didn't understand it until I was like, you know what? I'm on MTV. I'm on this ESPN magazine, you know, and at that time, social media was just now starting to be a thing. Twitter was just now starting to be a thing my freshman year of, of um, college. You know, back then we had MySpace and, you know, little things like that. We didn't have the social media we had today. So, you know, um, it was fun, man. It was it was a blast. You know, I've met a lot of people during that whole process. You know, my senior year was able to, um, you know, after my senior year, we were able to get a movie made after us, you know, just for how special that um, year was for us. And um, just seeing how everything unfolded, man, it was crazy times, but it was fun. You know, um, you know, I kind of uh, looked back and during that time and looked um, at my time now and seeing who's still around in my life now, you know, that says a lot because everything that I had then, I thought I had it all. You would have thought I would have been a Heisman, a Heisman candidate, you know, an early, a early day one, day two draft guy. And now I'm nothing like that, but in half the people, over half the people that was, a, that was a part of my life then are nowhere to be found now. So it's just crazy how the tables turn. Um, but it was fun. I enjoyed every moment of it. You know, I can probably go back and I think about it a lot. I can go back and, literally pick out different parts of my life that, you know what, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, there's some some of the things that I never forget and some things that I wish I could forget. Um, but uh, but I think it was, I think it was fun. It was a once in a lifetime experience that I, I, I wouldn't change any of it. Well, speaking of that, if, if you were coaching uh, 18 year old you, uh, what would you, uh, what would you tell yourself at this point, knowing what you know now? Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going into your senior year, maybe you're in the middle of your senior year, you rank very high in the, in the, uh, in the nation, uh, can have your, have your pick of schools. Um, you have all this hype surrounding you probably think it'll last forever. What would, what would you go back and tell yourself right now? I'll tell myself a couple of things. Most important one would be to have fun and enjoy it. Um, because it can be, it can be gone quick, you know, um, whether it's good or bad, enjoy every moment of it, soak it in and and just have fun with it all. You know, um, 
take advantage of that opportunity. Um, and I think the second thing I would probably do would wash the, wash the company you keep. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's what get, you know, a lot of guys um, trapped or, or um, taking a step back is everybody wants a piece of the pie when it's good, you know, and everybody wants to uh, walk around with their hand out asking for this and that and things like that. And I can kind of steer you in the wrong direction, especially if you come from where I come from and, you know, then you're and everybody's expecting you to take them with, uh, take them with you. So, you know, watch the company you keep. Learn how to say no. Uh, that'll be my third thing. Learn how to say no and learn how to say no fast, without any hesitation. You know, because the more you say yes, the more likely you are to um, disrupt everything that you have going on. So, I think that's the biggest thing, and that just that's just for the fame and all that stuff. Learning, learning how to manage that and say no and um, while also having a good time as well. So you ultimately decide on Oklahoma State. How did you, how did you come to that decision to, uh, to go to Oklahoma State? Well, at the time, um, I was coming out of high school. I think, you know, the Big 12 was very attractive to me. Um, you know, uh, there was two schools that I really, really loved. And one of them was the University of Oklahoma, and that was because of Adrian Peterson. And the other one was um, Miami. You know, Miami was probably my dream school. You know, um, I didn't receive an offer from Miami, but um, I thought I was very close. And um, that was really the school I was waiting on, but it never happened. I know they were only taking one running back in their class. And I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I wonder if, I think it was Duke Johnson, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. But anyway, I was waiting on Miami, that didn't happen. so. I knew I wanted to stay close to home. I really want. I really didn't want to try to go far. But at that time, I really didn't. I really didn't know how to handle the whole recruiting process, because um, I really didn't have any, I didn't have an answer for it. You know, all the coaches would come around and talk, but at that time, I didn't know who to trust. <laughs> and um, Ryan Lewis was the only one I was really talking to about it. You know, this was his first time ever dealing with anything to that magnitude. You know. We had almost every school in the country coming through Abilene High, and this was the first time that they've ever had that one up to that standard. And um, so he really didn't know how to handle it either. So me and him was both just learning at the time. And I think the biggest thing was um, Robert Gillespie. Uh, he was a running back coach at Oklahoma State at the time. He was just the most consistent guy who recruited me the most. And, um, you know, um, whenever he could call, whenever he – was allowed to and able to, you know, he would always call and check on me. And there was times he would call me and say, um, hey, did you write your mom? You know, he wouldn't even talk to me about football. He'll say, hey, did you write your mom? Make sure you write your mom tomorrow. Tell her how much you love her. You know, he'll talk to me like that. And he'll talk to me about school. How's my grandma doing? Um, how's my brother? How's my aunt and uncle? You know, he really, he really did his homework and research about it because there was stuff he would ask me about that I wouldn't even tell him, you know. So just seeing, again, Scott goes back to um, that coach proving and showing that he cares. And, you know, he was the real reason, really the only reason I was going to Oklahoma State. You know, my first time I went on my visit, he wasn't, he wasn't there. Something had happened where uh, he was in a wedding or it was something happened where he wasn't there at Oklahoma State at the time. 
So my visit, I didn't even meet him at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm not really interested. The second time I went, it was snow. It was snowing real bad and freezing. I was like, no, this isn't the place for me. And that second time he wasn't there again, something had happened. He wasn't able to be there. And so there was a third time um, he was able to get me up there. And um, the last time I fell in love with the place, it was a good place. And just the relationship that I had was second to none. You know, um, you know that's kind of how I kind of model. And um, as I'm in college and I'm recruiting, it's all about relationships and consistency with consistency with these, with these kids because recruiting's not hard. You know, at the end of the day, it's about investing in these kids and trying to build relationships with them all day, every day. You know, recruit never stops. And I think that's the biggest thing with um, some, of the, some of the coaches today. They just don't want to put in effort to do it. You know, they don't want to constantly call a kid two or three times, especially if he's not responding to a text or if he's not answering the calls. They're going to stop and give up. Oh, this kid's not interested. Well, make him interested. Keep calling, keep calling, keep reaching him out, keep hitting him up on Twitter. You know what I mean? There's little things like that that um, Coach Gillespie kept doing. And that's what, you know, I, I didn't really I didn't really commit to Oklahoma State. I commit, committed to Robert Gillespie. And so I never forget this. He came on a visit with my high school one day, and I had no intentions to commit at all. It was just I, I didn't want to commit until I was really going to wait until after my senior season. And so that's what I told Steve Warren, our head coach. I'm like, I probably won't commit until – after my senior season, because my mom was getting out of jail, um, the end of my senior, I mean, going into my senior year. So I wanted her to be able to go on these um, visits with me. And so um, I wasn't going to commit until after um, my senior season. But there was one day uh, Coach Gillespie came to my high school and we're just in the office talking. And um, we're just having a normal conversation, just like it was nothing. And then we're just chopping it up and getting to know each other a little bit more. And then all of a sudden I just said, you know what? I want to go to Oklahoma State. And, you know, I had no intentions of committing. That's just how it, it unfolded, you know. Um, and so just just the way he constantly um, recruited me and stayed in touch with me was huge. And I think um, that was the biggest reason why I went. And then I remember when I was at the Army All-American game, you know, i never forget this. I was at the Army All-American game and I'm sitting down eating. Um, it's like a day before the game. And then my phone just starts blowing up. And then Jeremy Smith, he was a running back at Oklahoma State at the time. He texted me. He was like, hey, are you still coming? I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, are you still coming to Oklahoma State? I'm like, yeah, why? He was like, um, Gillespie's leaving. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, um, our OC, which was um, um, Munkin. Um, no, not Munkin. Uh, Dana Hogerson. Dana had just got the head coaching job at West Virginia. And he took Gillespie with him to West Virginia. And so Gillespie, I talked to Gillespie a couple of days later and I tried to decommit from Oklahoma State. And, um, you know, he told me, he was like, you know what? I know you want to be close to home. And he was like, I wouldn't be me if I tried to tell you to come here with me. You know, um, so he kind of convinced me to stay with Oklahoma State and things like that. And so that's not what I wanted to do. But, you know, I trusted him with everything. You know, he told me that was going to be a great fit for me. And, um you know, I believed him and I stuck with it, knowing he was going to be gone. I didn't know who my running back coach was going to be, but I trust that's how much I trusted the guy, you know, because um he could have easily been like, you know what, I want you to come with me all the way out here in West Virginia. Um, you don't know uh signing days a month away, you know what I mean? And 
Um, his, but he didn't do that, you know, so I respected him for that. And, um, and so that's kind of how I ended up at Oklahoma State. At the time, I really wasn't interested in any other school, to be honest with you. TCU and USC was in a mix. But at the time, TCU was going to join the Big East. And that's when they were in talks of joining the Big East. And I know I was not going to play in the Big East. So I kind of wrote TCU out. And um, Tech was kind of in the mix. But I I literally only had one conversation with the running back coach at Tech. The other guy who recruited me was um, Tommy Maynard, who I actually worked for at um, North Texas um, when I was GA. And he was my main, he was the main guy recruiting me. So I felt like that was kind of weird if I would have went to Tech and only had one conversation with the running back coach. And then USC was in the mix because my family, my mom was from California and she wanted to move back to California once she had got out of jail. So uh, USC was in the mix a little bit. And then Oklahoma, the story with that, and I ended on this one. <laughs> I was on my I was on a visit um, at OU and I had another running back, Brandon Williams, on a visit also. And um, at the time, I was in there talking to Bob Stoops, and um, you know they kind of asked me if I wanted to commit, and I wasn't ready to commit at the time. And so I leave that visit, and um, at the time, the other guy, Brandon, he was um, committed to uh, where was he? I want to say he's committed to or no, he's committed to Baylor. That's right, he's committed to Baylor. He's from Brookshire, and. Um, they, he ended up decommitting from Baylor, committed to Oklahoma. And so once he committed to Oklahoma, they kind of pulled their offer from me and was only going to take him. So that's how I kind of um, was like, you know, I kind of need to make my decision also probably before the end of my senior year. So that's when I ended up committing to Oklahoma State uh, sooner uh, rather than later. So you, so you arrive on campus there at Oklahoma State and play as a freshman, have some success your first year. What was that first year like transitioning from high school football to Oklahoma State um, away from, you know, your surroundings and what, all things that were familiar to you? And now you're, you know, you're, uh, you're the guy who recruited you is, is halfway across the country at West Virginia. What was that freshman year like for you at Oklahoma State? Uh, my freshman year was rough because um, at the time, you know, I told Gundy and him I wasn't, I wasn't going to sign until I knew who my running back coach was. You know, and so they um, end up bringing in Casey Dunn, who's still there to this day. He's on the offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach. And so they hired Casey Dunn as a running back coach. And so I built a little relationship with him. I ended up signing with him. I mean, signing on signing day. And then, like, literally, like, I don't know, maybe a week after signing day, Casey moves to receivers. So I kind of think they played me a little bit um, by just saying he's running back coach. And um, after signing day, he ends up moving to receivers. I find that very interesting. Um, but anyway, um, so that's how that – so I was kind of a little upset about that, and that's when Jamal Singleton became running back coach, uh, built, um, built a good relationship with him. You know, I still talk to him to this day. Um, so me and him still got a good relationship. But um, freshman year was fun. You know, um, it was different because I had all these expectations going in, thinking, you know, I was going to play as a freshman when they, they, they plan to have, they plan to redshirt me. And I think they plan to redshirt me. Um, this was another funny story. So my freshman year is during fall camp. Um, you know, I'm in there with the twos. And the next thing you know, um, the new offensive coordinator, Munkin, you know, he tells me to go in there with the ones. So I'm like, okay, I'm all happy. I'm getting some reps with the ones. And then all I remember, we went on a 14 play drive and then I, I don't remember the exact number, but we probably ran 
outside zone to the left probably six or seven times in a row. And then all of a sudden he blows the whistle, reload, run it again, run the same play again, reload, run it again, keep running it over and over again. At that time, I'm tapping out like I'm tired. Someone else comes in. He's there, and the run by coach is like, no, stay out there, stay out there. And all along, they're testing me. And um, I didn't pass that test. I kept tapping out. I couldn't finish. And so at that time, that's when they told me, you know, I'm not ready to play, um, that they're going to redshirt me. And I was hurt. I was not happy. Um, and so that first game goes by, play Arizona. And um, I didn't play at all. So I'm upset. And Twitter's new. I go on the Twitter, and I tweet, this is some BS. Enough said. Those are my exact same words. I tweeted. The next day, I go to the facility. My locker's cleaned out. My name plate's gone. I can't. My code won't work to get into the facility. And so I asked my roommate, JW. Um, I was like, "Hey, when are you coming up here? I can't get in." So he, we go up there. We go in. This is week one, regular season. And um, I walk in. My notice my locker stuff is cleaned out. I go to the equipment guys. I'm like, "Hey, what's?" Where's my stuff? And they was like, hey, you need to go see Coach Gundy. <laughs> so I go up and talk to Coach Gundy, and we have this long talk. He asked me about the tweet or whatever, and, you know, um, then he asked if I wanted to be there. I said yes. And long story short, you know, I get on that Stairmaster for a week of practice. Um, and I'm talking about when we're out there in practice, I'm in full pads with my helmet on, shoulder pads, on the Stairmaster, out there practice for punishment, all over a tweet. And so right then and there, my whole life, I'm questioning everything. I'm questioning if I want to play football. I'm questioning if I want to be there. What am I doing in Stillwater, Oklahoma? Things like that. So it was rough, you know, and they got a guy named, um, what's his name? Joel Tubman, I believe his name. Um, He's like a pastor now, but also involved in strength and conditioning um, at Oklahoma State. And, you know, every day I would go and talk to him. You know, he kind of talked me off the edge. and was like, hey, all this is is a test. And, um, you know, so I got through that and, you know, cope with being red-shirted. And so it's going about week four of the season. You know, I'm all sad. I'm not playing. I'm red-shirting. But week four of the season, I'm doing real good on scout team. You know, I go into the coach's office and I tell them, hey, I want to play. Is there any way I can just play special teams? I know I'm not going to play in the backfield. Can I just play special teams? And they told me, hey, right now, if you do this, you know, you're going to burn your red shirt. You won't be able to get your red shirt back. I was like, yeah, this is something that I really want to do because I really want to play. And so I ended up playing on special teams, start on all special teams um, after week four. Um, well, actually week four against Kansas, I believe, and um, played on all special teams, start on all special teams. And then from then on out, everything was good, man. I, I started to enjoy myself because I was actually playing. And, um, you know, I felt like one of the guys, I felt like I was there for a reason, for a purpose. You know, um, I felt like I wasn't a, I wasn't letting anybody else down. So my freshman year was up and down. It started out rough, but it ended. Um, well, I wouldn't say ended well because I ended up leaving. But you know, it it started going in the right direction through the whole season. You know, played played the rest of the year. You know, um, got to have one start um, against Kansas State. You know, that was only because we were in a two back um, formation, um, but I counted as a start. Um, you know, so the the year started rough, but, you know, it, it ended pretty good up until that summer. Before we get to that, to that incident, if you could describe yourself at this point, how would you describe yourself? Were you angry, immature, 
you know, naive, all of the above, how would you describe your, your mental state or just, just where you were as a person at this point? At that time, you know, I wouldn't even say I was immature because I would like, I would, I've, I've always been the type to, um, like I was mature enough for my age to where, you know, I was always the first one in the meeting room. I just, that was just me. I never liked being late. Um, I was always the first one in meetings, you know, so I understood the importance of what it takes to not be a professional. I won't take it that far, but I always understood how important it was, how I carried myself. And if you knew where I came from, how my family was, me and my family are very different. You know, people always say, you talk proper. How, like when I tell them about my life, they will never even guess it. They will never guess that I've been around drugs, violence, and how my people are, you know, wild, crazy, and all that stuff. They will never even guess it just by the way I carry myself. So I wouldn't say I was immature. I, at that time in my life, I thought I was just a little overconfident at the time. You know, I thought I, I thought I had everything. I thought I couldn't be stopped. I thought I was, I thought I was the best thing walking. And, um, you know, being at that place at the time, we were number two team in the country at Oklahoma State that year. And I was like, man, I'm about to be a sophomore at the number two team in the country. I can't be stopped. You know, I played as a true freshman. You know, I'm about, Joseph Randall was debating whether he wanted to leave for the league or not. And if he left, I had a good chance of being a guy or at least competing for the, for the job as a sophomore. And um, so at that time, I think I was just overconfident. And, um, but also after everything, I was also angry that, you know, I wasn't the guy, you know, so I kind of took that and thought I should have been the guy. And I, and um, I kind of had that, that approach, like they're screwing me. I should be playing. This guy's not better than me. So thinking like that, you know, landed me into the position, uh, which ultimately, ultimately resulted in me leaving the team. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Tell us about um, about that incident and and you know the the circumstances leading up to that and how that went about. Uh, man, that that was that was a rough time for me. Um, you know, um, nowadays it's like you do things like that, man. It's you know, back growing up, you get beat up for doing stuff like that, um, taking things that's not yours. You know, I took money from a teammate. Um, stole money from a teammate, you know, um, I was young and dumb. And at that time I was just trying to fit in, you know, I was, I was, I was a broke kid. It's not like it is now with all that NIL and the money the kids get now, cost of attendance, these scholarship checks, man, we, we got 400, we got, no, I was on campus my freshman year. So I got $132 a month and then I got my um, Pell grant. And so half of my Pell went back home to my mom. So I got $1,200 for a semester that I need to make last for six months plus $130 a month. How can I live off that? How can I pay my car note? How can I pay my phone bill, insurance, and also have fun as a kid with $500 a month? You know, um, and that was a little rough. And so um, that's, what, that's what led me to take something that wasn't mine. And at that time, you know, um, it was right during the summer because I was taking a little Maymester. And so it was right, we all left for the summer in May and I had class probably that next week after. And so I remember driving home when I got the phone call um, asking me about the situation. You know, I tried to deny it for the longest. 
And then I had a five hour drive home. So by the time I got home, I, you know, I finally confessed to um, Coach Singleton and Coach Gundy. And, you know, they told me that I had a couple of days to come up with the money and try to pay it back. And um, fortunately enough, I did pay the money back within two days. And I thought I was good, you know, talking to Gundy. He was like, you know what? We're going to leave it up to the teams, see if they want to let you back on the team. Um, you're going to have to apologize and work your way back. And so I thought it was done with, you know, two, three days go by. The money's paid back. Um, I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's pretty much done. I just got to face my punch when I get back with the team. And then a couple of days go by, Coach Gundy calls back and says, hey, not, not even Gundy, uh, one of the ops guys, you know, after that happened, I never talked to Gundy again. He never really talked to me. Uh, after that, so I started talking to like the high school relations guy and um, Coach Singleton, and um, that's when they told me they wanted to press charges and things like that. And so he decides to press charges and um, go through that whole process. And you know, look, uh, lucky enough for me, the um, charges end up being dropped, and um, nothing ever happened with that. I was never convicted of anything. Um, I was never charged of anything, and. So we got the case dismissed, and um, I was lucky enough to get a second chance. And uh, so that's how that uh, whole story played out. So in the in the midst of all that, and, and you find out you're getting you know you're getting dismissed from the team. What were your initial emotions when you when you heard that? Were you were you hurt, angered? Uh, what just to walk, walk us through the emotions that that you were were working through uh, in the aftermath of that decision. Man, I was hurt. I was being hurt is an understatement. You know, I was, in, I think the biggest thing I was embarrassed because at that time it made it on ESPN. You know, you know, like now you're watching ESPN and at the bottom it says breaking news. Like it made it to that level. It said breaking news at the bottom. And I used to have a screenshot, but I lost my old email that I used to have because I, I screen, well, somebody screenshot it and sent me a picture of it. And I used to have that picture. Um, I'm an old email, um, but man, that was embarrassing just seeing it on um, national TV. You know, when I got off the phone with Coach Singleton, when he told me about it, while, while I'm on the phone with him, I have people calling me, texting me. So I'm like, how did it already get out that quick? And like, I couldn't even, address, I couldn't even call my mom and tell her about it. She found out by people calling her. So just seeing that and knowing, because in Abilene, we've always had guys, always had good athletes make it out of Abilene and are able to continue their athletic career at, in college. You know, a lot of them wasn't um, highly recruited like I was, but um, we, had a, we had a linebacker who was just as well recruited as I was, ended up going to Nebraska, um, ended up getting kicked off the team and coming back home. And, you know, so I was that next guy who, Thought everybody thought, you know what, this is this is a guy that's going to be able to do it. And then being able to or not being able to do that, excuse me. It was it was hurtful. I was depressed, thought about suicide. Um, I thought about a lot of things, you know. And um that was a rough, that was probably the roughest part of my life still to this day. Um, you know, just thinking about that and not only the impact it had on my life, but also everybody else, you know, because Believe it or not, man, I was a pretty big deal in Abilene. You know, there was times where I'd go to restaurants and I'd get the bill and it's already taken care of. You know, um, I'll try to go get an oil change, try to pay. Oh, don't worry about it. 
um, go go to the NFL, be little stuff like that. Um, you know, I go to a mall, give me a pair of shoes. Oh, don't worry about it. It's on the house. Like it was like that on a, on a constant basis um, in Abilene. So that's why Abilene <laughs> means so much to me, just because of love I, I got there. But um, just the fact that I let a lot of people down, not just myself, you know, um, was the biggest thing. And I think the biggest, biggest one was, you know, I kind of avoided Coach Lewis, Ron Lewis, for a day or two, you know, because I really didn't want to tell him what happened, you know, because he really invested everything in me. And, you know, um, I felt like I let him down more than anything. It wasn't about letting my – well, it was about letting my mom down myself, but more importantly, it was – I mean, I let Coach Lewis down because um, – I don't know. That was just my guy. That was my dude right there. And so, man, I was, I was hurt and I'm still hurt to this day. Cause I look back and I'm like, you, I try not to live life. Like what if, what if that would have happened? You know what I mean? Hell, if I was also six, if I was six, three, six, four, you know, I probably would have chosen to play basketball instead, but <laughs> I try not to live what ifs, but I always think about, man, what if I didn't do that? You know what I mean? What my life would have been like. Um, but now that I have kids and things like that, it's like, you know, I don't even think about that what if anymore because now, you know, I got my family that I have now, which means more to me than anything else. You know, if you were to tell me, if you were to tell me to go back in time, would you do that again and still have your family, your babies, your wife, everybody you have now, would you do it? I'll tell you, yes, I'd do it to have the life I have now. Do you remember that first conversation with Coach Lewis and and what was said there or what you know how that had whole thing unfolded? Oh yeah, I remember like it was yesterday. He just asked me, Are you okay? He ne- he never asked me what happened. You know what I mean? We probably um he probably asked me for the first time uh probably two, three years ago. So let's see, it's 2022, probably around 20. 18, 19 was the first time he ever actually asked, and he didn't even ask. I just told, I just, we were just talking about it, and I started to tell him. And um, he never really even asked what happened. He didn't care what happened. He was just making sure I was okay. And I think that's why I love him so much because he didn't care. Um, he didn't care what I did. He was going to love me regardless. Um, he wasn't going to ask me why. He wasn't going to ask me anything. He knew what I was going through was enough. You know, so there was no reason for him to, you know, question me and ask me and add on to that because he already knew that I just, he already knew that I felt like I just uh, disappointed him. So, again, it was just all about him being there. You know, he just asked, are you okay? What can I do? Um, It's going to be all right. Um, He was already trying to plan, you know, how can he get me into school? Um, Because nobody was, nobody was really taking me. Um, in a school, I was going to have to go to junior college. Nobody was really giving me a scholarship offer while I was still going through the whole court process. Because at the time, um, the case wasn't dropped at that time. It didn't get dropped until that fall. And, um, well, the charges didn't get dropped until that fall. So um, at that time, I didn't know where I was going to go to school. Um, he was just worrying about me getting into school, you know, not even going to football, not even playing football, just getting into school so I could continue um, my degree. And um, that was the biggest thing was – um, just being depressed and thinking I let him down. So what was your next move from there? You're just, you're dismissed from the team. You go back home, you have these conversations with coach Lewis and I'm sure some other people, uh, what was your next move from there? 
Um, just try to get into school as quick as possible. You know, at that time, I didn't know anything about junior college. Um, if I would have known more about it, I probably would have went the junior college route just to have that opportunity to go back and play Division One again. But at that time, I had no idea what junior college was. And um, I think even if I did, it would have been tough because where my mind was, junior college is different. What I know now about junior college, you know, it's just different. You know, you got to have tough skin and thick layers to go go to junior college because you're on your own, literally. You're on your own. And what I was going through, if I would have been on my own, there's no telling what would have happened. You know, I probably would have committed suicide if, you know, I'm at a junior college in the middle of nowhere with, uh, with nothing. And so it's probably a good thing I didn't. But at that time, you know, two of my good friends, Kevin Johnson, KJ, and Joe Okafor, they were, they were transferring from Oklahoma State to Lamar. You know, they're from Houston. Um, so they went back closer to their home. They was going to Lamar. So KJ actually reached out to me um, about going to Lamar. So that's how I ended up at Lamar. You know, I went on a visit, liked it. Um, they were one, they were Lamar and ACU were only two schools who were going to give me a scholarship while I was still going to court or whatever. So obviously I chose Lamar at the time just to get out of Abilene. I, I didn't want to be in Abilene. It was fresh off getting kicked out of school off the team. I don't want to be in Abilene. I want to get away. So I went to Lamar seven and a half, eight hours away from home. Um, so that's how I ended up at Lamar. And so you you start playing there, uh, and, and I think you guys were kind of in the middle of a, a difficult season or an up-and-down season for them. And uh, so so what happened there at Lamar? And when I was at Lamar, I was still depressed. I literally, the only time I left my um, room was when I went to when I went to class and I hardly ever went to class. Um, but they didn't care about it. <laughs> um, and when I went to practice. You know, um, that's literally the only time I left my room and when I turned 21. Uh, and, um, you know, when I was at Lamar, I was so depressed. I didn't I didn't give it a shot. You know, uh, Coach Ray Wood, he did a good job bringing me in. You know, I appreciate him a lot. You know, he gave me that second chance that I didn't think I was going to get. And, um, you know, I didn't I didn't give it a chance at all. Man, I was so depressed, so hurt. I didn't give it a chance. And so I got, I got very lazy and um, I look back and like, man, they didn't really didn't hold me accountable, but I didn't hold myself accountable. There was times where I didn't show up to lift. They didn't say anything to me. They just let it be. Oh, this was his big time recruit. He's coming from Oklahoma state. We'll give him a pass. So I left, I left Oklahoma state at 200 pounds. Um, I got to Lamar within a month. I didn't work out all summer. I got up to 2.30 within two months. And so I was fat, out of shape, depressed, wasn't, just wasn't having fun. And so I knew, um, I knew after I think it was game four or five, I was like, man, I, I just want to go home. At that time, I was like, you know what? I just want to go home and leave. Uh, that's when I'm, I, I informed them that I was red shirting, not red shirt, I'm sorry, that I was transferring. And um, decided I was going to transfer, and um, I told him I don't want to play there anymore. But I was going to I was going to finish the season. I just told him I was going to leave after the season. And um, Coach Wilder wasn't uh, too happy about that, and so he told me if I wasn't going to be there, there was no reason for me to continue playing. And um, so I was still in school, finished the semester there. Um, I didn't leave my room for nothing. I I'd go to class and go home. wasn't working out from. October from the end of October until December, it didn't work out at all. Got to um, ACU, 
almost 240 pounds. And um, man, I was like, man, I got to change something. So that's when I left uh, Lamar, went to ACU. And that's when I started my career at ACU. What was it like coming back home and going back four or five years before that when you're walking into uh, to the mall and people are buying you shoes and buying you food and now you come back from now to, you've been at two different schools. What was the reception like this time? And how did that, was that kind of a blessing to be able to come back and kind of be a little bit more anonymous this time around and, and where you could sort of get back on track? What was it like where you're coming back and, and going to ACU now? It was, it wasn't much different. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get the, I didn't get the luxuries of, of having everything like I did before, you know, but I still had a little bit. So, man, I love coming back home to Abilene. Um, it was fun, you know, being able just to come back home. I was, I was there with my guy, um, Ryan Lewis, you know, anytime I needed some, I can always go knock on the door. They were there. Um, my family was there still. You know, at this time, you know, I was still, I, my mom was out. I was able to still build a good relationship with my mom. My mom was home, so she was still able to see me play um, in college. Uh, some of my friends were still there, and so it was good being back home now. And I feel like that's what I really needed. Um, I went away for a little bit, um, but I was able to get back home to Abilene where pretty much my whole support system was, you know, whether it was my mom, my high school coach, Ryan, or the head coach, um, Steve Warren, you know, and being able to go back home and be with everybody, I think, um, was good for me. You know, I think that kind of saved my life, believe it or not, um, because, man, at that time I was – I was headed down the wrong path and not necessarily because I was doing anything wrong off the field, just mentally. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, mentally, mentally stable at that time. And so coming back home was huge for me just to try to regroup, um, rebuild myself, rebuild my brand and go from there. And I think another thing that helped me was um, Benny Wiley um, came to Abilene and opened up a little workout facility there. And, um, you know, I had my ups and downs, I got hurt game one um, of my first year because I sat out. My, I sat out the next year, 2013. I sat out and then played 2014, and um, didn't have the year I wanted to. Got hurt, um, was big out of shape. Then Benny came along the next year, lost my spot to a freshman, and um, start working out with Benny. You know, I was able to get back down to 210. And um, felt good going into my junior senior year. Started uh, start again, and then I started splitting time with another guy who's now one of my good friends, um, DeAndre Brown, who we I split time with. He was um, the starter for the most part of my junior year, but my senior year we split time. You know, I got my weight back down to two ten, played two ten my senior year, so I felt really good at that time. And a lot of that was because of Benny, um, being able to work with him. Um, be in the best shape that I could possibly be in. And um, I thought that's when I started to hit a turn. But by that time, it was too late. You know, I wasted two seasons playing at 230 when I should have been playing at 205, 210, like I was my senior year. So uh, my senior year, um, I split time with another guy. So I didn't get the carries that I wanted. You know, I didn't get to put up the numbers that I wanted. I still put up decent numbers. I, you know, rushed for over five, average over five yards to carry. Um, but, you know, I didn't have a season that I thought I was going to have, you know, um, but, but it was good going back to AC. I thought it was good. I, 
um, ACU is a, is a special place, you know, um, you know, I have some ups and downs with the coaches there, but you know what, that's always going to be home. Um, and ACU is going to always be a special place for me. When people hear that story, um, whether it's a kid um, who's, who's, you know, maybe going through, through some stuff right now, or maybe it's a coach who's coaching that kid. Um, when people hear your story, what do you want them to get from it? Um, that I'm a fighter. I never get, I never gave up, you know, um, I, I try to fight through adversity, you know, because at the end of the day, everybody has a story to tell. When you think you have it hard, somebody out there has it 10 times harder, you know? So when you think you can't get up, there's somebody else who's knocked down who literally can't get up. Uh, so all you gotta do is just keep punching, keep punching, always find a way. You know, I tell myself every day, just take another step. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me is just not giving up, you know, because I could, I could have went a different way. You know, I could have followed the foot, the um, I could have followed the footsteps of my uncles, um, footsteps of my brothers, my family. You know, um, getting into gangs, getting into drugs, and doing all that thing, doing all those things. But you know what? I chose football, and um, I chose to go to school. I chose to better myself, and you know, um, that's who that's who that's who I am to, to this day as a fighter. You know, find find through child abuse, find through the foster system. You know, so when I tell my story, that's what I like to think um, everyone would get out of it. Just a fighter, someone who fights, um, who's going to continue to fight no matter what. Today, as a coach, when you see a a kid or a player, maybe going starting to go down that road that you were on, or or making some poor decisions. Uh, what approach do you use in correcting that kid, or how do you go about having that conversation, uh, trying to correct that behavior? And I, I try to do the Coach Lewis approach: <laughs> be there. At the end of the day, I just got to be there. You know, I think some of the biggest things, um, some some of our guys and my guys that I'm involved with, you know, um, especially in today's game, you know, we're around these kids more than their own families. Um, they lean on us for a lot of advice and just me just being there, just have, being an ear, ear for them, for them to vent to or to listen to, you know, knowing that they can call me at 2 a.m. They're out at a bar. Um, they trust me enough to say, Coach Sims, I'm out here drinking. I need a ride home. Knowing that I'm going to pick up, knowing that I'll go get them. You know, um, just being there for them, um, I think is the biggest thing. And, you know, I can relate to a lot of these kids, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, most of them come, I wouldn't say most of them, but a lot of our kids, not our kids, but just um, athletes in general, especially the African-American kids, uh, come from a single or a broken home, you know, so, or been through something within their life to where, you know, they have to overcome something. So me being able to share my story, how I fought through it, and giving them something to relate to, you know, kind of connects us a little bit different um, than it might do another coach. So, you know, the Coach Lewis approach is just being there for the kids. I think it's the biggest thing that I can do and that I try to do with all my players today. If you could uh, speak directly to the coaches listening to this now, what are some things, that, advice that you would give them when it comes to coaching up their kids today? Uh, obviously, that the whole thing of just being there, but what what other advice or things might you 
say to them, speaking directly to their, their, the importance of their role that they have in the lives of the young men that they're around every day? Man, the biggest thing is more than those. Nowadays, everybody want to just be exiting those, but I think the biggest thing now is a lot of kids, they're going to an outside source to get developed. You know, I take pride in what I do, and I feel like, I feel like I'm a damn good coach, and I feel like I can coach the running back position specifically, you know, against anybody. I'm, I'm confident enough you put me up against any running back coach in the country. I feel like I can compete with them, you know, because at the end of the day is how well can I develop that player to be the best version of them? And I think the biggest thing is finding ways to reach your players on another level other than just – I mean, yeah, it's all about relationships, but how can I get them to be better? Because at the end of the day, that kid wants to make it to the league, get a big if, – if, if, it's, if it's a high school kid, how can I get a D1 scholarship? Okay, here's the things you can do better. This is what you can do to your game to take it to the next step. How can you work harder? What are you doing different? Showing that kid, okay, this is what it takes to be a professional. You got to get up when nobody else wants to get up. You got to spend more time in the film room. You know, how can I develop them better on the football field? You know, I think that's kind of how I'm going to model myself as a position coach. You know, everybody wants to be the next Cliff Kingsbury, be the next Sean McVay, draw up different schemes and all that. But at the end of the day, those schemes are pointless if you can't develop your kids. You know, um, I like to think of myself as a good developer. You know, I haven't had the chance to have my own room, but the chances that I do have, I teach kids. You know, I teach them how to pass protect. You know, um, I teach them how to how to read defenses, how to read defensive linemen, you know, um, how to study, how to study their opponents. You know, little things like that, I feel like, go a long way because if that kid thinks that you're helping them get better, they're going to do everything they can to get better. You know, if they don't think, oh, he's not helping me on a football field, um, why should I trust him? You know what I mean? So... My biggest thing is, um, or my biggest advice to give a coach is find ways to try to develop your players, you know, step away from the, from the whiteboard a little bit and go back to your own personal whiteboard. What can you do to develop your players to be the best players on the field? You know, when guys turn on the tape, they're going to look at the running backs or receivers, whoever I'm coaching, you know, those running backs run different. Those running backs see things different. You know, I always tell our backs last year and I work with the running backs. I try to let them know and try to teach them pre-snap reads. You know, try to eliminate part of the field before the play even starts. You know, you know where you're going to run. You know what your aiming point is. You know what your read is. I can't show you how to run the ball, but I can give you reads. I can give you keys and indicators to help you. So when you press your aiming point, when you, when you press your aiming point, when you're on your tracks, when you get the ball, you know, your eyes are in the right spot because your eyes never lie. How can I train train them to trust their eyes? You know, their eyes are never going to lie. A lot of running backs don't understand that. You know, so your eyes are never lie to you. How can I trust my eyes to make sure I get to my, my landmark? How can I trust the offensive lineman? How can I be in sync with my offensive lineman? You know, just little things like that, I think, will help our players and the players that I work with. Um develop their game a little bit more. So finding different things to develop, you know, whether it's going to different clinics, listening to different people talk, um, you know, asking for advice, 
uh, reaching out to other coaches um, who are also coaching the same position you are? You know, what different drills, uh, materials are you using to help develop the players? I think that's the biggest advice that I would give. One thing that I'm picking up from talking with you, Coach, and 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 uh, you can correct me if I'm if I'm reading you wrong, but you, you you talked about or we were talking about earlier when you were at Oklahoma State, you know, kind of you were like a lot of us were when we were 18, you know, really overconfident and brash and and uh, a chip on your shoulder. And now talking with you right now, I don't detect any of that at all. But what I what I see now, what's coming out now, is sort of a quiet confidence. You know, you, yeah. you obviously, you obviously yeah. believe in yourself. And I think it's those circumstances that you went through that that sort of tampered that um, cockiness and and really honed it and shaped it into a quiet confidence, which is ultimately what we should want people to see in us, right? Right. Like you want kids to see a confident coach who's confident in his abilities to to develop them and to get them to that next level, whatever that may be for them. I think that's a really important quality to to possess as a coach. You know, when you're you know, obviously when, when a college coach, you're sitting in the living room talking with kids and their families. And then when you're just trying to get a, a room full of kids to buy into you and buy into what you're trying to get them to, to do as, as players, I think that's really important. It is. And this, I've noticed this over the years, as I started coaching, one of the biggest things and um, a lot of coaches and players take it for granted is how can I build confidence in our players? If I, if I show them that I believe, like for me, the biggest thing for me is pass protection. Me being a running back, I think that's the biggest struggle in translating from high school to college is being able to pass protect and pick up blitzes. It's not about a matter of can they do it. It's can they, do they believe they can do it? If I'm showing, if I'm giving them every tool in the tool, in my toolbox to help them pass protect, it's all about want to. But if a kid doesn't think he can do it, he's not going to want to do it. If I can't make him want to pass protect. But if I give him tools, hey, fit the windows, sink your hips, you know, shoot your hands, hands aside, thumbs up, you know, head up. If I give him tools to use to build that confidence in him knowing that he can actually pass protect, then he's going to want to learn how to pass protect. And I think that's a lot a lot of that goes into it to where I have to build confidence in our players that they know when they step out on the field, they're confident that they know what they're doing at all times. A lot of it is on me. They're going to look to me. If I'm confident in what I'm preaching, they're going to believe it. You know, um, if I believe in everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm teaching those guys, they're going to do it. So if I believe it, they're going to believe it. And I think it's just a trickle effect. And I think that carries over to the field as well. Absolutely, Coach. Well, Coach, I uh, really enjoyed our conversation today, and uh, I know that the guys listening to this are, are going to be better because of what we all are, because uh, of the uh, of your story that you shared with us today. However, we're not quite done with you yet. We're going to get you out of here with some rapid-fire questions. I'll put you on the gun a little bit. So um, you, you mentioned there that if you had been a little bit taller, you might have become a basketball player. So uh, tell me, talk to me about your basketball game a little bit. And, and if we throw you out on the court, what, what position are you playing on the basketball I'm, court? I'm, I'm a shooting guard. Okay. Um, you know, I, Westbrook's my favorite player. He's not a shooting guard, but just the dog mentality he has, he's my favorite player, you know, but I don't, I don't say I'm a basketball player. I say I'm a shooter. I like to play three-point line to three-point line. I stay outside the paint just so I don't get hurt. 
Um, and I just like to shoot. When I cross half court, you better put your hand up because I'm pulling up. Okay. And uh, do you ever – you get the, the running back so that you guys ever go mix it up a little bit in the uh, – like the student center or whatever it's called there at SMU? You oh, yeah. Go? At times, we'll, we'll go shoot around a little bit. One of our old coaches um, who I coached with last year, you know, he had a little court at his house. We'll go over there and shoot a little bit. A few times we did, but um, we don't do it as much as I would like to, but um, we always talk about it. Um, I just haven't I haven't proved it to them yet, but, you know, some of the coaches on our staff, especially the young ones, uh, we go out there and we play a little basketball as well. When I was at UNT, we used to always go and play noon ball. Every day of the week, we'll go over there and play. Um, we don't do it much now where I'm at now, but, you know, I try to do it every chance I get. Uh, are you a trash talker in general? Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk trash, you know, especially especially when I'm in shape. And I can, I can back it up a little bit. I'm going to talk trash. You know, um, it's, 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 it makes it a little fun and more competitive a little bit. You talked about playing basketball. What other ways? I mean, it's a, it is a stressful job to be a college football coach. What's, what, what other are things do you like to do to sort of so, to relieve some stress whenever you get uh, a few minutes of time or you get, you know, you get an afternoon off or a day or two off? What are some things you like to do? I mean, I like to, man, we got this thing with our film where we can, where we got all kind of access to NFL film. So I just like to study different running backs to see um, what makes them so great. You know, why, why is he, why is he's, why is a certain running back good at outside zone or inside zone or power counter? What makes this guy so good in pass protection or catching out the backfield? You know, I like to watch different running backs to study it a little bit and, and try to see, what are they doing differently that other guys aren't doing? I think that's very fun and kind of keep me on my toes a little bit and try to help me develop as a coach as well. You know, one of my favorite coaches in the world is Tashar Choice. And we were at our, um, and I actually GA for when I was at UNT. So we were at this coach convention. He was telling me how when he studies backs and the ones who are more successful, when they get the ball in the backfield, the deeper they get the ball, you know, because they, the more time they have to make a decision rather than getting the ball closer to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I never thought about that, but just taking that and he just noticed that when he's watching film, you know, when um, Derek Henry gets the ball, when he's, um, when the quarterback's under center, he gets the ball, he's five to six yards in the backfield when he gets it, rather than two or three yards from the line of scrimmage when he gets it. That makes a huge difference in your reads and your landmarks. Um, just little stuff like that, I think, is very neat that I try to take. Um, and when I'm watching other guys and seeing what I can do differently. You mentioned Derrick Henry there. Uh, who are some other running backs that you specifically that you like to study, NFL running backs that you like to study? Um, and I like Christian McCaffrey a lot. I, I, that guy's a beast. But my favorite one was Adrian Peterson. Um, I think he's the best back. I think he's top three running backs to ever play the game. Um, you know, I think and arguably probably the second outside of Barry Sanders, I think, who's number one. Um, but outside of that, I think Agent Peterson, Derek Henry, um, one of my favorites, and uh, Christian McCaffrey as well, and also um, Alan Kamara, I think, um, a hell of a player as well. Now you say Adrian Peterson, and a little bit of a, a shiver runs down my spine because uh, I played him. We, we played against him twice in high school, our junior and senior year, and uh, okay. he had over 300 yards rushing against us both years. And and I, I think it was my junior year. It was my buddy who played inside linebackers, his favorite or first varsity game. I think they're running ISO like they did probably 50 times that game. AD runs runs through the hole and 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 runs over my buddy who's playing inside linebacker, runs over him, steps on his chest and runs in for a touchdown. And that was kind of his uh, 
welcome to high school football moment. And uh, I believe his senior year, most of his senior highlights were, were the game against us. So I got to see it firsthand that that uh, what a special player he was. So Man, I still watch his highlights to this day. That's my favorite back. That's yeah, my, we that's my dude right there. You see some you see some little dudes in white and green. That was uh, <laughs> that was us getting run over. So uh, oh, yeah. okay, next one for you. You're 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 an Abilene guy through and through, so you got to be familiar with all the the the, uh, the best eating spots in Abilene. So give us a couple for the for guys who maybe going through Abilene or, or visiting Abilene sometime in the future, give us some, some food recommendations, a good places to go. I'll give you a couple. Um, Hess is a pretty good burger spot. Um, that thing's pretty good. Another one is uh, not a burger spot, but just a good hole in a wall place. Um, a place called, um, what is it? Um, Bell's. It's like a um, Southern style, uh, like a homegrown place. I think that's good. And a good breakfast spot is the popular bakery. Um, they got some pretty good breakfast burritos. I think they're second to none, you know. So those are three good spots. I think they're good. Um, one of the famous, my all-time favorite was Harold Barbecue. You know, um, that's probably one of the best barbecue spots that I've ever had. Um, it closed down a little bit, but sometimes when they have a fair in Abilene, they'll um, pop open a little bit and have a little stand out there. But um, those are four good places. Three, three of them are still up and running. But And uh, Sharon Allen, Joe Allen's two barbecue places that I like as well. Okay, Coach, uh, this is a question I like to ask. When it comes to game day, are you a, a superstitious guy, not superstitious at all? Where do you fall in that spectrum with, with game day routines? I do a little bit of both. Um, I'm not too superstitious at all, but there's a few things that I – when I played, I was very superstitious. When I played, I would always have to eat a snicker before a game, and I eat a snicker at halftime. I don't know why, but no matter what, I mean, that's just what I did. And I'm talking about, like, right before I took the field, um, right after we do coin toss, you know, I'm eating the sneakers right before I go out there. And then at halftime, I'm eating another one. Um, that's probably it. Um, I probably li- I'm probably a little weird at this, but I listen to nothing but slow jams. You know, um, when I played, and I kind of do that also when now that I'm coaching. So I kind of stick to that same playlist, a uh, little R&B, but I don't do nothing too crazy um, outside of that. Hey, you know, I, I I have actually heard that it's better to to listen to to music like that to kind of help calm, calm yourself down. down. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. I guess it's different. I, I I still like to the upbeat stuff pregame, but you know, I I think that there's definitely some some merit oh, yeah. to that as well. Last oh, one, we'll get you out of here on this one. So um, this is we're in the off season, and this is a time when a lot of coaches are are like you talked about studying film and looking at ways to get better and things like that. Uh, give us, you know, whether it's a book or podcast or something that that you've you've listened to or read recently that you would recommend coaches checking out. Um, actually, I'll give you the book that um, is that I actually got two days ago. It's 31 Days of Proverbs um, through the coach's eyes, you know, different, um, you know, um, I think I think his first name. Last name Hardy, he um, he got this book collection going with um, 31 Days of Proverbs, and he has um, probably about 12 to 15 different coaches um, who give their devotionals on it. And I think that's a pretty neat, neat deal. And I think um, if you're listening to this, I think that's a book you can definitely get. Um, I got it off um, um, Amazon, um, and he also has a Twitter as well. Um, but 31 days of 31 days in Proverbs is a pretty neat book. I'm only day two in it. So, um, but it's a good one. Yeah, definitely have to check that out. Well, coach, 
like I said earlier, we really appreciate you coming on and and uh, and sharing your story with us and and being willing to uh, to be vulnerable with these guys. And and uh, I know that, like I said, that they'll be better and we're all better because of it. So thank you so much. I want to wish you the best of luck uh, in 2022. All right. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been an honor. And um, again, you're doing great things and just keep it up. You know, you don't get this. You don't get this very often, you know, uh, so I think it's pretty neat. And I'm just I'm just glad you gave me the opportunity to be on here. Uh, appreciate it. Man, I just really appreciate Coach Sims coming on today and sharing uh, his story with us and being vulnerable and, and, and open with us and, and just really enjoyed talking with him. If you enjoyed hearing from Coach today, uh, go give him a follow on Twitter. You can find him at underscore Coach Sims and let him know that you heard him here on KYPD. I know we'd appreciate getting some love for you guys, so make sure you give him a follow. I also make sure you're following us on Twitter at KYPD Podcast. And if you want to send us an email with guest recommendations or ideas for the podcast, then you can do that by sending us an email to kypdpodcast at gmail.com. Our quote of the day is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verses 17, which is featured in the book that Coach mentioned there at the end of our conversation, which is entitled All In, 31 Days in Proverbs. And a link to that book can be found in today's show notes uh, if you're interested in checking that out. Anyways, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And that will do it for this episode of KYPD. Hopefully you feel sharpened up after hearing from Coach Sims. Be sure to join us right here next week for episode number 123 when we get back to talk us a D-line play. Until then, have a great week. And remember what an awesome responsibility you have to pour into and impact the guys in your program each day. And finally, Wherever you are, whatever you're doing this week, always remember, keep the pass down.